0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Um, today we are going to finish our outline of mastering free will. We spoke in five ways of how to master free will, and uh, I, I don't mind listing those ways once again, although I'm nervous to do so, because <laughs> we seem to never finish this outline, so I'm like reluctant to write it again, but I will. Um, So we're talking about becoming masters of free will. In the end, the the sum total of your entire life, in fact, who's sitting in your chair right now, is the end of an equal sign of every choice you've ever made. It all equals who you are right now. And therefore, your choices are really, really important because they're going to equal your life. And so if there are categories of of choice, of how to choose, well, you better know those categories. You want to get good at them. So, the first is, you know, this is all the mindfulness work that we did, which is constant choosing, that every moment is a chance to choose. Uh, the second one is reevaluation, and that is having the courage to reevaluate your life, just as, uh, you know, raise your hand if you ever knew anyone who changed career later in life. Keep your hands up if they were happy they did. Okay, everybody. So, you see, reevaluation is just really really important to do and it can reinvigorate things like for example i had mentioned last week that i reevaluated my marriage in a major way and has and it just totally bumped up my marriage in a major way and i reevaluate my judaism and how i interact with judaism constantly so you can constantly reevaluate number three was the battleground here we got in touch with the the voice in our head, also a little mindfulness work, but to recognize that we have a battle between the body and the soul. And that the body wants immediate gratification, it wants to have its physical desires met, while the soul has um, has much loftier goals. And for example, everyone in this room has chosen to come here, and everyone knows they're not going to be more apt to neither survive nor reproduce be by being in here right now. And in fact, this $30 million building was built by someone who who's uh, all that money and all this building is not going to make anyone more apt to survive, except maybe the Jewish people, or to reproduce. You get that? So even though the body voice is always busy with survival and reproduction, like every plant and animal and a human, but we have a godly voice that has no interest in that necessarily. For example, art. Art, music, philosophy, meditation, and... Uh, and uh, Connecting to God and stuff like that—that's we all got a drive like that. We all have that drive inside of us. But those two voices do battle, and the bo- voice between the body and the soul. And our job is to go for the soul. Is go go for the soul. You want to go for the soul. You want to negotiate with the body, and be a good negotiator with your body. Uh, anyone here promise themselves that they learned Torah today? They're going to get something later. You know, and did that? Yeah. Okay. Great. And I know it's childish, but to like give yourself you know ice cream because you learned to her all day or whatever, but you see it does a trick it does a trick and there there's all kinds of tricks i didn't i didn't go into any of the tricks i'm not going to go into many now, but I'll tell you one trick and don't let me talk about this trick for more than two minutes please'm i okay. on, on the clock um, so the The trick is that the body voice doesn't understand time at all it just doesn't understand time so so it, you can um Trick it easily with time. So, for example, you can tell your um, you, let's say for example we have a whole list of classes in the morning hours. You tell your body voice that you're only going to hear one of them, and I promise you, you'll be in probably two or three or four or five classes during that day. It will say, "Oh, just one." Okay, let's go. So the body voice will just go in. You tell your body voice that you're only going to Israel for three weeks. Mm-hmm. and then you stay a year, okay? You tell your body voice you're going you're gonna to go down to the western wall, you'll say you'll say one prayer, and you might find yourself there an hour and a half later. So it doesn't understand time so well, and that's a good thing to know. It doesn't really get time, and uh, the body voice just can't tell time. So you can trick it. You can trick it all over the place. You can really trick it a lot when it comes to time. Now, there's a bunch of other tricks that we're not going to do because we're doing number four. In honor of Bradley and Kasha and Cloud. Cloud yeah. And number five is God, which is a little strange in an outline of free will because constantly choosing, revalidating, being in that battleground in the soul are not necessarily God oriented. They are a bit, but not totally. Because you can think about just in, in business, you can have, you know choosing to do what you do for a living reevaluating your business um, you're always in a battle because there's stuff you got to do that you just don't want to do and all your friends are waiting at a sports bar you choose to do those things and get to the sports bar a little late but this last part's like totally transcendent so that's what we're getting into now why is this what does this have to do with free will so the, what this has to do with free will is that is that the world looks the same whether or not you're into God. Meaning if our whole group, if we took this whole classroom and we all walked through the Jewish quarter and half of us were atheists and half of us were believers, the Jewish quarter would look exactly the same to all of us. It would look exactly the same. It's not going to look different. We're all going to look at white walls of Jerusalem stone, be walking on the Jerusalem stone streets. There's going to be a sky above and the, and it's just going to look the same but when you give that little snap of God awareness which we're going to go into in a second but when you give that little snap of God awareness to be aware of God in this moment when you give that that little snap what happens is the, the everything looks the same but there's a there's a There's a certain divine indwelling that takes place in our own consciousness. We have our own consciousness gets this divine experience that takes place. But we're just walking down the street like anybody else. Everything looks the same. Now, this is particularly important in Judaism because Judaism's anti-icons. We're not into icons. In fact, icons are almost tantamount to idolatry in our eyes. Now, those who think the Jewish star, because people weren't raised observant, might think the Jewish star is an icon, or they might think a menorah is an icon. But they are not icons. These are, they're purely some symbols, and they're not symbols for God. The two triangles interposed are, are have to do with Kabbalistic symmetry, which you'll notice that anyone here has ever had a psychedelic uh, experience on any kind of psychedelic plant medicine or chemically... Uh, Produced compound um, will things will come out in that that uh, mystical symmetry of the of the Jewish star. It's also if you've ever any kaleidoscope trippers here. Anyone love kaleidoscopes? <laughs> so you'll notice it's all it's all that same sacred sacred symmetry that shows up there. So it shows up there in in the in mysticism. That's just a mystical reality about the creation and when it comes to, uh, and that's the and David, the menorah is a lamp that was lit. Okay, it has a lot of Kabbalistic stuff, but it was lit in the temple. Okay, so that's, it's not an icon, it's, an, it's a candelabra. Okay, for, for lights that are lit by the, by the high priest in the temple. And we also light them on Hanukkah with the eight branch menorah. How does it have Kabbalistic stuff to it? The menorah. <laughs> um, well, it's—I mean—it's the seven days of creation. It's the—it's the seven spheros.
1: It's—it's—they're
0: mm-hmm. uh, all leading to the middle one, meaning it's—it's it's three with a middle, mm-hmm. so it's six, and the middle one's Shabbat. The middle one's Shabbat, and they—and they all—all and they all the wicks have to be pointing towards it. It's mm-hmm. the. There's a lot to it. There's a lot, a lot so we, We'd be on that for a while. Um, we're not going to go there now. Because we're not into icons at all, it's much easier to find an atheist amongst the Jewish world because you you don't see God, and there's no representation. We don't have a guy on a cross to bow in front of Yeah, We don't have holy cows. Um, You know, we're just not, we're not into, in that. We're not worshiping elements, directions, things like that. We have a ton of mysticism about the elements and a ton of mysticism about directions, and you know, we even shake cosmic vegetation and make little w- w- leafy sounds of you know, in each of the directions. You know, as at one week of the year, we do that every single morning in all the directions. And and so, like, we're definitely into these funky, mystical things going on and the that that we're involved in, but but our. Our allegiance is to a being that's not visible at all, and and therefore requires a certain amount of maturity. So this is really the ultimate act of free will. You want to know why? The reason it's the ultimate act of free will is to choose your God consciousness is because is because it's a choice you make between mundane and holy. Meaning, it's a choice you make between this world being being just physical, or this world being divine. Now, when I use the word divine, I want to move to a much more specific word divine. The word divine, I know a lot of you think of the word divine as God, but the word divine doesn't necessarily mean God. The word divine actually means an indwelling (coughs) of divinity into physicality. So it's far from God. Because if you have a physical thing that is an indwelling of spirituality, so that's not God. It's a physical thing with an indwelling of spirituality. And that is called the divine. So it's in you. Like you're, the divine is in you. And the divine is in certain mitzvah objects, for example. And there's a divine indwelling in time when it comes to the Sabbath or a holiday. <clears throat> And there's places where the divine is almost unnoticeable. Like, for example, uh, a cup of water has the divine in it, but you can't necessarily. It's not so noticeable. (coughs) But it's delicious. And the divine is, um, and there's places where the divine's totally covered up, and that's called evil and darkness. But it's still divine. It's divine, but it's covered up and it's, it's not visible. This usage of free will, when you're choosing to see the world as a divine world is, it makes things quite magical. So I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb right now and go <clears throat> and appeal to everyone's intellect for the next 10 minutes. Ready? Okay. Can everyone just say the word nothing?
1: Nothing.
0: Nothing. Very good. What does nothing make?
1: <coughs> <coughs>
0: nothing. Great. We're just going to keep saying nothing, okay? Nothing? <coughs> nothing? Nothing. What does nothing make? <coughs> nothing. Good. Before there was something, what was there? <coughs>
1: nothing.
0: Okay. Good. Okay, so so now we're going to do the four-second proof of God, okay? just takes four seconds. Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Okay, Okay. I'm going to do that slower. Before there was something, there was nothing. What does nothing make?
1: Nothing.
0: And Now that there's something, it must be that the nothing. nothing was God. Now, what is God? What is God? The answer is we have no idea. Nobody knows who God is. We know nothing about God because, well, it's not a thing. <laughs> the only thing you know about are things. And here we're talking about a thing that you don't know anything about. So therefore, you know nothing about God. And, and by the way, in my, in my course called God Hates Religion, or God is Not Religious, but in, in my course God Hates Religion is one of the big issues. Religions keep telling everyone who God is. But we have no idea who God is because if it precedes the world of something, so therefore we know nothing about it because it's not something. Is that clear? Now, even an atheist can believe in this God, because an atheist always believed God was nothing anyway. So atheists and Kabbalists have a lot in common. Because just like the Kabbalist realizes that God is not a thing and that it has any definition or is all-knowable, so too the atheist um, believes that. Um, Now, the atheist doesn't necessarily believe that the nothing that precedes something is a deity, meaning is a, a conscious being. And that was Bradley's question, which was, was uh, how do we know it's conscious? Meaning he, he, he knows intuitively, and every one of us knows intuitively, worlds don't make themselves, there was nothing. And God is the term you give for someone who can make something from nothing. For example, um, let's say uh, uh, this gentleman here, what's your name?
1: Brandon.
0: Let's say Brandon could m- demonstrate for us that he was able to make something from nothing. You know what we're going to call Brandon? God. <coughs> that sounds risky, Rabbi. Like, you sure? <laughs>
1: the
0: answer is, yes, I'm sure, because never in the history of the world has anyone ever made something from nothing. It doesn't happen, because nothing never makes something. The only time nothing ever made something was when our world was created. Now, if those of you think, well, who says the world was created, I mean, it was always here. Well, you're going to have a couple of physicists you're going to have to speak to, because this expanding universe was once not expanded, and rather it had collapsed onto, it, it would have been collapsed onto itself. Well, how small? An inch? A foot? Uh, size of a pea? According to the Ramban, uh, who lived a thousand years ago, one of the great cobblers, he said it was the size of a mustard seed. Well, did that exist in time? Is there time when there's only one piece of matter? Is there time there? Isn't time have to do with the relativity of bodies moving? So, is there time? So maybe there's no time, maybe it was always there. Okay, well, where would it come from? Well, maybe it wasn't always there, did, did it get put there? Well, let's say it was always there. Well, who made it bang? Who said bang? That made it bang, and why would it ever bang? And at what point did it bang, if there's no time? So, you understand, like, w- this is why we call it God. Is, the reason we call it God is because, because there was nothing and then there was something. And that something's an expanding something, which means at one point it wasn't an expanding something, it, had contra- it was a contracted something. But, who, but when did that something come along? Meaning, obviously, that something is also a created something. Now, another thing, just so you know, Kabbalistically... We don't even believe any of this exists. None of it. Not even the whole entire space-time continuum. We don't believe any of it actually exists in any real way. Besides, we can measure things. Meaning you can measure this table, you can measure our, our solar system. But who says that all of this is real when we know on a quantum level it's not. It's really made of vibrational energy. It's just made of waves and particles, all of this. So, okay... So the so this this table is primarily made of s- of space because there's more space than matter in molecules, and so then what's keeping all what's the glue keeping all this together? And we're we're all made of the same stuff. I and mean, can you imagine you your clothing the tables the floor is all made of protons neutrons and electrons, and so whether you go from a Kabbalist perspective or you go from the physics perspective where inside this giant holographic illusion. And the cool thing is your consciousness. Now we'll get a little bit more into free will. The cool thing is your consciousness, the actual conscious, you right now thinking. So you are you aware right now? Are you aware that you're aware? Yes. Yeah, are you aware that you're aware of yourself in this classroom and I'm speaking right now? You're aware of that? So that's three things going on. There's you being aware of your awareness. And then there's the object you're aware of, which is me standing up here speaking. So how can, how can you have two awarenesses? You have one awareness that's me speaking. Then you have an awareness that you're aware of, of me speaking. So that awareness is not physical. It's not a physical awareness. It's, it somehow hovers up, hangs around you. That's called the soul. And everything you ever experience is always inside that consciousness. Have you ever experienced anything outside your consciousness? Everything you ever experienced was inside your consciousness. And this creation itself is created out of the consciousness of God. So what is there besides the consciousness of God and your awareness? But let's let's go back. Let's go back. Before there was something, what was there? Nothing. nothing. What, how do you, what does nothing make? Nothing. Nothing. And in this particular case, because there's a creation, so we call the nothing God. Just one more thing is remember I said atheists and Kabbalists are friends? I want you to remember that because we're not into religion at all in Judaism. So, if you've been, like, kind of religion-friendly, you're not going to get very far as a Jew. Okay? Judaism's never religion-friendly. You can be a friendly person towards people who are religious. That's fine. I am. I mean, I'm very friendly to all kinds of people who are into religion. I'm super nice and friendly. But since this room is filled with, you know, pretty serious astral travelers and you should know that, that if you if deep down you're friendly towards towards religion that your path will get blocked meaning your path up the ladder towards spirituality you'll get you you will hit a you're going to hit a brick wall because you have to be you have to be you have to be intense about about your journey and be truthful and where people are living in in religious illusion, you can be super nice out externally, but internally, I'm not asking to be snobby either or arrogant. Internally, you're totally locked on. You gotta stay locked on. And 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 the highest level people working kabbalistically who are locked on would never even be interacting with those people because they're they're just like, for example, tomorrow night Please, God, tomorrow night we're free. Uh, We're going to be going to someone who only interacts spiritually. That's all. That's all he does. He's 40 years in total meditation. And um, and we'll be in his presence, uh, uh, whichever men want to go be there. Uh, The women are invited on Shabbos, but during the week, Thursday nights, it's a men's experience.
1: What's
0: his name? Friedman. Friedman. You want to come tomorrow night? Yeah, Yeah, you should definitely be there. Yeah, and that's an all-nighter, but I usually don't have strength to be there all night. But when I was young and dumb, I used to stay there all night. Until he finally threw me out. Now, the. um... Okay, here we go. Before there was something, there was nothing. That nothing is what we call God. There's two things we know about it. One is that it's one. Why? Because if you have absolutely nothing, how many is there? None, right? And can you dis- can you differentiate none? Does nothing have distinction? No. No, does nothing have parts? No. When you mul- can you have two of them? No. no, when you multiply it by thirty, what do you get? You still get nothing. Does that effectively make it everything? Yes. Well it does later. That's gonna be a step five. Mm-hmm. We're on step three now. So we had before there was something there was nothing that nothing we call God. Now we're on the fact that it's one.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. you can only have one nothing. And this is also a distinction because all those religions that believe in one God, there's nowhere in the entire Torah says there's one God. It just says it is one. Now, by by default, there's only going to be one of it. But we don't focus on the fact that there's one. We focus on the fact that it is one, and that turns this world into an extremely cosmic place, which will be step five. And that's why we're talking free will here on step number five is God. That's why black magic is normally you're taking some, something and turning it to like two instead of t- taking something from that's nothing and turning it to something. Like what would you consider black magic under? Yeah, so so there, you are able to use um, s- you're able to use things in the spiritual realm to produce results but you'll always have to start with something. You always have to have something. You can mess with something once you got something. But until you got something, you can't mess with it. Just like the, when Elisha the prophet, who was even higher than Eliyahu the prophet, it was his student, but his student rose to great heights. And when he found the poor lady, the Isha Shunamis, who was like starving or had to feed her family or whatever, there was problems. She, he said, do you have anything in your house? He just needed something. And so she said, well, I have a, I have a jar with some oil in it. Like a little bit of oil. And so he said, go to all your neighbors and borrow all their jars. And just bring all the jars to your house. And then with names of God, because it's not black, Jude, uh, prophets never using black magic, using names of God, he got that little bit of oil and filled every single jar up with oil until she just was, set, she became an oil saleswoman because she just had more oil than she knew what to do with afterwards. But you always got to have something. Now, um, but that was a great question on why, this something from nothing.
1: Why nothing in versus we don't know? You keep like saying that the, that at the start of the universe there was nothing, but we don't know uh,
0: there was nothing. Love know. that question. I, I wish more people would ask it, unfortunately. <laughs> rarely does anyone ever ask that. The answer's right. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. I mean, why are we calling it God?
1: No, no, no. Why are you like in it's saying it's nothing right so like you you brought physics earlier and there's tons of theories as to what is before but all we can see is as far back as the big bang but for all we know there could be universes before or whatever it is it's not necessarily nothing it's just unknown
0: yeah and and the answer is that is that the is that we there's a couple answers so one (laughs) of the answers is is that those are theories about what could be besides nothing so you have nothing for sure theories maybe you get that? Yeah. That's a kind of a deep thought, but, but n- for sure we have nothing, and n- nothing bothers people, by the way. Why does it bother people? Because if it really was nothing, then you're a God. And therefore, theories of what, maybe there was a multiverse, or maybe there was who knows what, but some theory, maybe that would take the surveillance light out of your, surveillance camera out of your bathroom. But nothing puts a surveillance camera in your bathroom. Not only in your bathroom, but in your thoughts. Meaning you're, you're being watched. No one likes that. So, so, but you're right. It's an excellent question. And then the other, the other point is that, um, is that I thought you were going to say, well, why would you call it God? If it's not, meaning if you really don't know what it is, why are you calling it God? And so the answer is, what does God mean? Yeah, no, that's,
1: that's yeah,
0: it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It's just a term we are using for something we could never think of. Yeah.
1: Um, so you just said that um, a, a Jew hates religion, not hates religion, but doesn't um, connect and follow religion because then you'll have a mental block and you won't be able to surely reach God. Um, but there was a class earlier in which you were taught that um, it's important for a Jew to follow a tradition um, just because it's a tradition, just for
0: the sake of unity, um, despite the fact that it's... I said that yesterday, I think. So how do you reconcile those two ideas? Because w- you just said a tradition <coughs> like like lopping off the ends of a challah. One is one is truth and the other is that your family doesn't eat the ends of a challah. If your family didn't eat the end of the challah on Shabbos, they would cut off the two ends of the challah. You should not eat the end of the challah. Now, if that's a total miser, which it probably is, it may be a tallulah lesson. There's no truth to it, but don't break thousands of years, or hundreds of years, or fifty years of people not eating into the challah in your tradition. Now, you may w- ask why, but I don't. Do you ask why?
1: Yeah.
0: You want to know why? Yeah. <laughs> be- because the because it's. It's a slip... Well, I'll give you... I went into it. The reason I'm a little reluctant is because I went into this yesterday for a couple, like about five minutes, but it's a slippery slope. You stop doing this, then you stop doing that, and you stop doing this, and after a while, you know, you're just... Uh, your Judaism turns... Um, what's the right word for it? Dogmatic? No. I wouldn't really dogmatic, but you're just... No, it's not even selective, because I said you'd be still following absolute truth, which means the mitzvahs, but you got rid of all the traditions. For example, does anyone have to do Kabbalat Shabbat on Fridays? There's no commandment like that. There's nothing like that. Do you do Kabbalat Shabbat on Fridays? So, doesn't say that anywhere. We, we only do it since the Arizal like, Kabbalistically realized, like, all the stuff he realized... And then started doing Kabbalah Shabbat, and ever since then we've been doing Kabbalah Shabbat. So, what do
1: you mean by Judaism isn't religion?
0: I didn't say that. Judaism's not a religion. Judaism's not a religion. Let me let me tell you something. What's the difference between a religion and a cult? Nothing. The answer is the number of people. No, no, no. One sec. If you take ten people believing in something, it's a cult. If you multiply it by hundreds of thousands of people, or a million people, now it's a religion. What is, if it's if it's something that's based in real truth, so that's not called a religion or a cult. It's based in facts. You understand? Like, it's not... Believing that Trump's president of the United States, sorry to bring him up, is not it's not a belief okay it's a fact so our history is a factual history for I mean like look outside this window outside this window is the temple mount we have all the ruins of the temple you know the base of it and we also have periods of the David's temple built by Solomon we have that we have coins with David's name on it from when he ruled Jerusalem now, how long was David after Mount Sinai? So I'll answer that one. <laughs> it was a little more than 400 years. That's not a very long span. It was a full on total Jewish civilization living here in Hebrew with a temple and doing all the stuff the Torah says to do. Okay? And, and no one thinks David wrote it. But we know David existed, and we know we only have a 420-something-year span from Sinai till David. We also know who David's father was, and we know who his father was, and his father was, and his father We have a family chain all the way down the line, going all the way back to Judah, who was the son of Jacob. And you tell me when religion kicks in here, because there's no religion in that story. Zero religion in there. I don't
1: want like to derail the
0: conversation. That's cool. But there's no religion there. That's all. And so we're all direct descendants, literally, of these people. We're direct descendants. We're all straight down that line, all the way down. I mean, it could be some of us converted in. I mean, you see we're all, like, different colors and stuff. we got Ashkenazim and Sfaradim and Yemenites. Like, we all look kind of different, so there's clearly we're converts coming into Judaism at some point or another. I highly doubt that Jews looked as white as I do, you know, in biblical times. I just don't believe that was the case. But, the, uh, but we do have an, we have an unbroken chain. And not only that, our scholarships all written out, all the way down. Meaning meaning we, you can go from today. Obviously, today you'd be recording thousands of names of scholars just because there's a huge amount of scholarship right now. But their Rebbe's were fewer, and then their Rebbe's were fewer and fewer. But, but you can literally go Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student. The word Rebbe means teacher. Rebbe to Oral- student, Rebbe Rem- to student, Rebbe K- student, Rebbe to student, you're not far from getting a thousand years ago to like the Rambam. I mentioned earlier the Ramban who spoke about the Big Bang. He <Kazuto> speaks Big Bang, Rambam. And uh, and then you go back another thousand years following names, the whole, it's all names. Student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe student, student, all the way to the Roman times. Well, that was the time of the Talmud. It's all, there it's all recorded Rebbe student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe student, Rebbe student, all the way down till the. Bef- um, till uh, second temple period. And that's all Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student. Rebbe to student. All the way through, now you're, now you're in Tanakh. Well, Tanakh's got everything listed of exactly who were the Rebbe's and who were the students and who was the king of Israel and who was the pro- main prophet of Israel at that point. Meaning every king had a prophet. That was the spiritual leader. And it just <coughs> keeps going, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student. We have all that, it's all recorded. Every single bit of it, and we know exactly what was going on in that temple because we got all that recorded. And we know all the details. We even know the geometry, which is also a lot of sacred geometry in there. We know all that stuff. And interestingly, today if you go into a shop, a mystical shop, you've seen these mystical shops, like in Manhattan, with the the incense and the sage sticks and the you know and the and the crystals and the music and the you know and, and the dude behind the counter with the giant big old earlobe holes and you know covered in pagan tattoos and stuff and like this, this stuff's been going on all the way back all this stuff and we had we had the high priest with 12 crystal 12 precious stones in his breastplate we had an inc- we were so serious about incense that it was the death penalty for even creating the combination by creating the company in those measures, because everyone has a measure, even creating that was the death penalty. Let's say you didn't create it, but you burned it outside the temple, also the death penalty. Meaning, meaning we, make, we, make, we make like modern day pagans look like strip mall jokers compared to the way we treated incense. And then a gigantic band of Levites playing meditation music. And, like, that was so loud by so many musicians, such a big choir, that you could hear the music all the way down in Jericho, in the Jordan Valley. And we have this chain all the way down. Now, it gave birth to things like Christianity, which is the externality of Temple Judaism. It gave birth to things like Islam, which is the externality of Synagogue Judaism. Notice, Christianity took off right after the Temple's destruction, and it's got all the external trappings of Temple Judaism. It's got the funky outfits. It's got the incense offerings. It's got a priesthood instead of a pra- uh, general practitioner, a GP. The um, it has centralized. I mentioned centralized prayer location, church. And then later came Islam, hundreds of years later, right at the time of synagogue Judaism, and they're a total takeoff on that. No priesthood. Everyone's a practitioner. You pray anywhere. It's a, it, It's just take. It's the external level of that. But these are religions that are takeoffs on, on th- what they saw at the time was the only literate population. We have always been the only literate population. There's only such a thing as, as international literacy, and there isn't international, but at least national literacy in some nations. That's a brand new thing, whereas Jews have been literate, every single Jew literate, all the way back to time immemorial. And when you're literate, that puts you very high up the hierarchy in every single society. So, one sec, uh, Rabbi. We have a tunnel tour now. Yeah, quick announcement. Anyone who wants to go on the tunnel tour, we have to go
1: now, I don't
0: story. even know what time it somewhere is. Uh, four or five. But we're leaving five minutes ago. So you know, what, Rabbi, I'm going to, I'm going to send. Oh no, it's it's after four. Okay, um, and then uh, just one more thing is Nekamar. There were some people who Nekamar s- forgot and told them to come meet him. Any people? Those people. Whatever, he's, he's going to come if he told someone that he's going to meet him, okay? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.